You are listening to the Super Freak Media Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, please be sure to show your support and follow us on our other social media platforms. Check out the links listed in the description of this episode to find out more. Thank you. Welcome to the Super Freak Media Podcast, No Ghouls Allowed, with me, your host, John O'Butler. Joining me on this, the 19th episode of the podcast, which I've just been reliably informed uh, by Liam. <laughs> um, we've got Liam Banks. Hey, I'm here again. Oh, he's back. Uh, Charlie Clark. Hello. And Dan Poppett. Hello. Hello. In today's episode, we are going to be talking horror icons. I can't believe we've got to 19 episodes without talking about icons of horror. I don't know how we've managed it. Liam reminded us of it, and now we're doing it. Uh, We're also going to have a classic foreign bodies section from Liam Banks himself, and also a Game Over Man section from Dan and Charlie. But first, I believe that, um, well, I'm going to be playing the Richard Parker role here, so I haven't seen this film. Uh, <laughs> as Charlie said, I have been listening to audiobooks this uh, this month. Um, they've been to see the new Candyman film. Mm-hmm. Thoughts, guys? Mm-hmm. I think I should let you guys kick it off, because I think your, your outlook is going to be a lot more positive than mine. Oh, hello. Um, but... That's oh, don't spicy, make me spicy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want you you kick off? I'm then. I'm going to be probably more melodramatic than Liam is going to be, and say <laughs> I think that <laughs> I think that was probably one of the best horror style films I've seen in a long time cinematically. Just mm-hmm. being in that cinema, just. Every shot, every sort of sound cue, just everything made me so happy watching mm-hmm. it as a, as a very strong fan of the original. And even yep. some of the sequels, well, one of the sequels, let's say, um, just everything about it made me so happy. It was, it was, I'm so glad we went to go and see it and... I am very, very excited to see more of Nia DaCosta's work because that was, oh, uh, it was just, it was just, I, I loved it. And I feel now like we've praised the hell out of it and said how much we love it. <laughs> Liam is going to shit on that and uh, tell us how much he hated it. No, I do see the positives as well. Like, um, like you said, Dan, I'm a huge fan of the original. Um, it was nice to see such a like big player of horror kind of return to cinema and i'm really glad that they held out um as opposed to doing the online streaming that a lot of films have gone with over the last year due to covid they were like no this needs to be seen in a cinema and i i I do agree i think it was shot beautifully the the paper like puppet sequences were just gorgeous to watch even though they were depicting like really gruesome stuff um and I do think it retained some of the DNA, obviously, of the original. Like, 
it's very much obviously commenting on racism and the gentrification of certain places, particularly in America, um, and that injustice of all of that. So it, it did retain that. I just, oh, I don't know. I just, the, the opening part, the opening, like I'd probably say third, I thought was phenomenal. And I was like, yes, this is it. I'm so invested. But then I just really felt like it slowed and waned quite a bit. And then you got like the ending, which I will say as well, was a decent ending. Obviously, there's a nice closing kind of image and dialogue and everything there, um, not giving it away. But I just felt it was very sudden. Um, and I wish we'd have kind of basked in that ending a little bit more than the lead up to it. It, it didn't shock yeah. me, like the twists that were throughout it. I didn't really feel like it was something I didn't expect. I, I get that, but like I think um, I don't know. Like the twist for me, although like I kind of felt the same in the fact that like for me personally, there wasn't anything in it that I don't think like because me and Dan went to watch it together. There are a couple of things where we leaned over and went, "Oh, that's da 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 da." Yeah. So it wasn't like full of surprises. I just think mm -hmm. it was executed flawlessly, in my opinion. Yeah. I think everything mm. that it set out to do, it achieved. I feel like the performances were brilliant. I thought the writing was brilliant. Um, mm. I didn't necessarily feel the same pacing issue as you did, but I can kind of see what you mean, Liam, in the sense that like that, you know, that middle act is kind of, you know, where it's just kind of stuff's building. Up. Yeah. And it, I guess it does slow the pace down, but I didn't feel that that was like a bad thing. I, yeah. I really enjoyed like seeing it. It was, I really, really enjoyed it. There, there, was, there was a lot of times though um, where where it was that thing where we sort of lean over and sort of say something. A lot of the times though, it was the same thing that we kind of did with um, when we watched The Haunting of Hill House, mm. where little things mm. had happened where they weren't yeah. this big dramatic. There wasn't this big spike in the score. There wasn't this um, yeah. dramatic zoom in moment. It was just something creepy that happened that was subtle and mm. it was so refreshing with sort of the recent jump scares everything must be mm. in the forefront to be scary yeah. and i think it was just it was it sort of felt like a nice throwback to like the original Candyman with yeah. the subtlety yeah it was nice that it kind of made you look at horrible moments like it didn't jump mm -hmm. to them and then jump away it was just like you are going to look at this horror yeah. and i think that's maybe possibly because of the political message that the film carries as well it was just like you're going to look at this you're going to take a good long look yeah. at this and we're not putting away because in reality it is a piece of social commentary as well as a horror we don't get to yeah. look away from the racism in the world well some people try to but yeah, you know the humans among us don't yeah. look away from the racism in the world and i think in that sense it very much achieved what it set out to do yeah no definitely and i, I mean like i said i, I don't think it was a bad film by any stretch. I think I just, I did have really high expectations for it. Um, I think mainly because maybe it had been held off for so long and I'd kind of seen all the promo stuff. Um, and I, I mean, I think I was surprised overall at how much he actually referenced the original. Um, I wasn't expecting there to be references to Helen Lyle and um, obviously the, I don't know the the twists and the threads and things that were kind of pulled through from that original story. So it was nice but to what see I that. Liked is it didn't feel cheesy in the sense that you know when sometimes like they put they drop things in for obvious fan service. It was yeah. fan service without it being like 
cheesy fan service. It was just there going, yeah. oh, Pan and Lyle, oh, yeah. we'll just drop this little thread in for you. And it was it was just done beautifully, like it was pitched perfectly. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's, again, we spoke in the last episode uh, about how horror has kind of in many ways saved cinema. And I mean, I believe this film broke records for um a director of colour, um, a female director, and yeah, horror right. in like general, yeah. like blockbuster sales, all of that, um, especially since the pandemic. So that to me is always going to be uh, a win-win. And I think, yeah, I, I feel like it's going to be a film that fits into the canon of Candyman and will slowly evolve into more of a cult favourite. Um, I think I was just a bit on the fence about it on first viewing, yeah. so I might need to go back to it, but yeah. I think if nothing else, the score should get all the awards. Oh, the score yeah. beautiful. Well, the it score was, was incredible. It was. It took what Philip Glass did in the original, and it kind of just made it current, but didn't deviate too much from it. Like it still very much felt as. I, I don't know. I love that score, and that always reminds me as well of they. They used it in a scene in American Horror Story Asylum as well when Lana's escaping mm-hmm. the, the asylum. And I just think it's a fantastic bit of music. Um, and I think horror soundtracks in general don't get enough kind of praise uh, because they're probably a soundtrack that needs to do a hell of a lot more than most like film scores. Yeah. I think in action think films about sometimes. A lot of horror films, there's less dialogue than, exactly. than most other films. So the yeah. score does a lot of your work for yeah. you. Absolutely. And as you said, Dan, with the cues, it, it lets you know when maybe you need to be a bit tense. And But this didn't have, like you said, that piercing interruption to scare you with sound as opposed to seeing something that was scary. So, um, yeah, uh, I appreciate there, there was a lot of good elements to it. Um, so I think I left a bit confused as to why I was a bit like, oh, OK. <laughs> but hey, ho, I don't know. So in essence, then, two kind of very... Not polar opposite opinions of the film, but no. maybe I think for you, Liam, you it was it was built up so much with the delays and everything that it could never live mm. up to to your kind of own hype, I guess. And I think that's yeah. probably going to be a problem with quite a few films that have been delayed. I, I know it's not a horror film, but I've been looking forward to the new James Bond film for a long time. I've been looking forward to yeah. the new Top Gun for a long yeah. time, and it's mm. I, I can't help but think when I finally do get to see them, I'll just go, oh. I think that was it. There's a lot of stuff in the trailers because I think Candyman had had like several trailers and I'm one of these people who will watch a trailer and study it almost. And there was so many elements of it that were in the film, obviously, but they, I I think in in actual fact, I probably ruined it for myself because like the bathroom sequence, for example, I'd already seen before I'd gone into it. And I think if I'd have seen that straight up just in the cinema, I'd have been like, God, that was amazing. But I'd already seen it like on a small screen on my laptop. Um, and I don't know, I feel like it'll be the same for Bond, unfortunately. I've I've seen like the eighth trailer they've released. Um, yeah. but it's it's there's only so much they can do to kind of keep that that hype bubbling away, isn't there? That's it, isn't it? I think it? it's like they've had to almost do extra trailers simply because of all the delays. It's like they've had to yeah. give more away of yeah. the film in order to keep an audience like actually wanting to go back into a cinema after obviously the pandemic and all the lockdowns and stuff. So in yeah. a sense, they're doing themselves out of surprising their audiences, but I don't know. I've still got big, big hopes, especially for for Bond, which Jono mentioned. I'm very excited. Thing is, there are silver linings with the fact that a lot more films that may have been a bit later on in the time frame are now closer. I.e., yeah. Malignant, yeah. 
which is out now which is out now has anyone seen that yet have you we're going to see it next week okay i'd be yeah i think that's definitely one to talk about at some point um yeah yeah, i think you're either gonna love it or you'll hate it it's very yeah it's it's very much yeah i think so Mm. speaking of films that uh get us back into the cinema liam your horror icon for this uh, this month's segment, I assume, mm-hmm. is is an icon that repeatedly gets people back to the cinema. If it's a horror icon, it's uh, it's got that sort of gravitas to it. Who have you chosen? Yeah. Uh, well, it'll probably come to no surprise to the people listening. The horror icon that I've chosen is none other than Freddy Krueger. I mean, <laughs> can you imagine? Um, no, it's uh, it's Michael Myers. It was always going to be Michael Myers. Um, <laughs> You stole mine. I was going to do Michael Myers. <laughs> I had no intention of doing Freddy Krueger. You're going to have to cobble it together, Charlie, quick. <laughs> yeah. Quick to quick. Google. Google. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, I'm talking about the the one, the only, the icon, the legend, Michael Myers. Austin um, Powers, yeah? Austin Powers, yeah. I, do you know what? That is probably one of my biggest pet peeves. You know when people call Michael Myers, Mike Myers, I'm like, no. <laughs> Sit yourself down. It oh god, it just bothers me so so much. Um, but yeah, Mike Myers, yeah? <laughs> I, I will mute you, Charlie. I'll find a way. Um, but yeah, so uh, Michael Myers or the Shape, uh, as he's kind of come to be known through the series, is the star of the Halloween franchise that started back in 1978. Um, started with obviously John Carpenter's. I'd argue like seminal horror classic um i think there's a lot of reasons why you could call uh i know you said michael jackson an icon michael myers an icon <laughs> I mean, michael jackson is an icon but just of a different yeah, kind d- different kind of icon um but yeah i think what th- it is very evident that there's still um a want uh, from fans for more energy and films in this franchise. I mean, we've got Halloween Kills, which I believe is we're recording this today on the fifteenth of September. Um, so it's it's literally a month. Not that I'm counting, but literally a month until I can get to oh, see this film. Um, Sorry, but that was that was a film that was delayed due to the pandemic. Like they filmed it, they edited it, it was done, it was ready to go for last Halloween, um, but. They decided again, yeah, let's go theatrical one with it. And I'm glad that they did, although they've kind of 180'd and they're streaming it same day on Peacock in America, which I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that affects its performance. Um, but I don't know. The series as a whole, obviously, Michael Myers is the 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 killer, the babysitter killer that is is this like common figure throughout all of the the films apart from halloween 3 but that's again it's it's a very unique franchise in the fact we started off with halloween in 78 and then we got the sequel halloween 2 which was a direct follow-up um and laurie strode has the worst wig probably in movie history in that film but we forgive and forget um but then it was developed into almost like an anthology. Halloween 3, they went in a completely different direction with it. And it was about like killer Halloween masks. And I think the idea was, yeah, we'd get a different tale every Halloween. Um, but the fans were like, no, we want Michael Myers back. Um, so in the middle, 4, 5 and 6, uh, I kind of call it the saga of, of Jamie, which is supposed to be Laurie's long lost daughter. Um there's kind of it goes in a weird way they they start talking about cults and the fact that 
um there's like a pagan link to, to Halloween and there's this reason why Michael Myers is evil. Um, and then that was retconned back in 98 when Jamie Lee Curtis took it upon herself to get Halloween H2O produced. And then we went to Halloween Resurrection, which features Buster Rhymes doing Kung Fu and the scariest acting I've ever seen from Tyra Banks. So it's I'm not going to say it's a film franchise that is perfect because it's really not. Um but then Halloween 2018 comes along and retcons the whole thing. It is like, no, we're just going to do a sequel to the original film. And now we've got two more on the way with Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. I'm not going to talk about Rob Zombie's remakes because no. <laughs> um, I just, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan. I, I like the brutality, but I feel like we're getting that with Halloween Kills, hopefully. So it might be a nice mix. I don't think that the first Rob Zombie reimagining was the worst i think it tried to explain too much yeah i I thought like the first time i watched it and i saw like the young michael basically Mm. pick up what was an entire tree and cave a kid's (laughs) head in with it spoiler alert it 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 was shocking to watch to Mm. see that because i don't know like child violence in films in horror films even though it's done like mm-hmm. we think battle royale being probably the peak of child violence in a in a horror film <laughs> but yeah. like it it really shocked me like and yeah i think it does over explain it especially like on a second watch like you just like oh you're just giving away too much now yeah the second rob zombie one however is utter garbage and i've still not watched it all oh. the way through i think i got 25 minutes in and just went this is just bollocks. Like this it is not is, scary. It is trash. Rain. All I got was rain and cars and rain. And rain. I've just got bored and turned it off. As soon as Sherry Moon Zombie is turning up with a white horse, you're <laughs> tapping out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I completely, I completely agree. I mean, I, I will say I give respect where it's due. Like he wasn't trying to echo the original um, because the original, in actual fact, is. It's an exercise in suspense. I mean, there's hardly any gore in that original film. It's about the fact that this this figure is in the shadows. He's stalking these these young adults, and it's it's not necessarily about that. And I mean, we open with that iconic opening with the steady cam shot of him like brutally killing his sister, and then it is revealed he's this little boy. And I think, yeah, you're right, Charlie. That sort of stuff does stay with you, I think, a lot more, especially if it is like an evil kid, but. They, I don't know. It was scarier for you to fill in the blanks and think, why is why is this kid snapped? Uh, because on the face of it, he should just be this cute little boy getting on with his life, and he isn't. <laughs> He's the devil. <laughs> he is evil. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, I don't know. I still think it's a film that stands up as strong today as it did back then. I mean, we went to to go and see it, Charlie, didn't we, on the anniversary screening? And I mean. That was, uh, I mean, it's it's 40, 43 years old now, which is insane. Like, absolutely but insane. I think, like, when we, went to, when we went to watch it, it was, like, you could feel the tension in the room still. Mm-hmm. And, like, you could tell every single person in that room was obviously a massive fan, has obviously yeah. seen it countless times. And we were all sat there clutching our popcorn going, oh, my God. But we knew what was going to yeah. happen. And I think, it, like you say, it does stand up. Um from from all those years ago i can still watch it and enjoy it there's yeah. still bits that still make me jump when i watch <laughs> it and 
I think that's just testament to John Carpenter being an absolute genius. I think that's yeah. the, um, the the thing with it, isn't it? It's it's a bit like when we spoke about Jaws uh, the other month. The mm-hmm. the fact that it doesn't rely on big jump scares. It doesn't rely on. It's it's no. it's not. It's very much uh, an exercise in suspense. Uh, mm-hmm. it, the first film's kind of probably owes more to Hitchcock than it does. Oh God, uh, yeah. The other way around, like the later kind of slashier ones for want of mm-hmm. a better word. Um, and I think if they'd have gone down the horrendous gore route for the first film, then we wouldn't be talking about it with the same reverence today. And yeah. And I mean, up. it, I mean, yeah, I, I, I completely agree, but then at the same time, it was responsible for inspiring so much, obviously from them. I mean, some of the other icons that we're going to mention in this episode, I think will also, a lot to Halloween as a film coming out and being as successful as it was because like with anything like with Jaws even then come the imitations and some of them are great some of them then spawn their own franchises um, which um, are equally as successful but some of them just provide pure entertainment for us when they're just absolutely awful (laughs) (laughs) so that's a great way to kick us off then kind of like the uh almost like the, the granddaddy of the, the modern slasher film. Um, <laughs> Dan, we're going to move on to you now for your horror icon. Uh, what are you brought to the table? So to go from um, one um, monstrous slasher killer to another, I have picked the one, the only Mr. Jason Voorhees from the Friday the 13th franchise. And I know there's going to be somebody screaming somewhere that, yes, he was not the original killer. That was Miss Pamela Voorhees. However, you think Friday the 13th, you immediately think Jason. And the, th- the thing is with Jason, he's just one of those killers that could just, you can put him in a very serious scenario and it will be entertaining. You can put him in the campus scenario ever and it will still be entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um to start with, obviously, he first appeared in Friday the 13th Part 2, um, where he didn't even support his trademark hockey mask. That wasn't until Part 3. Um, he's been, he's visited Manhattan, he's gone to hell, he's been in space. He's even <laughs> faced off against another massive horror icon, which obviously will maybe be spoken about later. I don't know who that is. No, no idea at all. (laughs) And and even like Michael, um, he has received the remake treatment and the remake of Friday the 13th, after having quite a recent rewatch, I will attest is probably the most terrifying Jason has ever been. Mm. Because he's he's not this slow walking man that just randomly appears to stab horny teenagers he's this machine of murder he's got underground tunnels he's laying traps and it's genuinely terrifying mm. like we Absolutely. me and charlie spoke about the first sequence by the way if you haven't watched the friday the 13th remake do give it a watch it is quite entertaining the mm. first sequence where he's hunting that small group of people is absolutely 
terrifying. The kills, the way he moves, the ferocity of it is just something to behold. And well, first time you watch it, will probably leave you aghast yeah. if you've if yeah. you're used to watching the Jason from the eighties classics. I can remember when that trailer dropped um, for the remake. And I mean, obviously, he fully got the Dawn of the Dead 28 Days Later treatment of the zombies. And I can remember horror fans everywhere absolutely losing their shit when he runs at the end of that trailer, you oh. know, where he runs with the machete and it just cuts to black. Yeah. And I mean, that so, opening sequence is essentially the first two, three films kind of condensed into one little yeah. short film, which is terrifying. It's amazing. I remember going to see the remake on... Friday the 13th in 2009. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, so when it came out, it was Friday the 13th. They launched it on Friday the 13th and released it in cinemas. And I went to watch it. And I remember audible gasps and screams. And not just like one random person in the audience going, oh, when he runs. Yeah. Literally, the entire audience were either going, or screaming at him running because it was so it's like a completely different breed of jason i mean yeah the jason in the originals is great and it's i think he's almost got that michael myers element and i think like you were saying liam michael myers paved the way for many other like horror villains and yeah. i think he has that kind of slow moving walking ambling kind of michael myers-esque body movement but then in the mm -hmm. remake it's just like now scrap that we're gonna make him a hunter yeah. like he's gonna yeah. hunt the teenagers he is gonna trap them and kill them in horrible horrible ways i would argue i think he's the scariest out of all of the killers like i mean obviously michael's my boy but a hundred percent if jason was running towards me i'd just give up uh, out of any of them i'd just be like okay just take me now it's fine this has been good yeah. <laughs> There's sort of, I think with Michael, you, you pin that down to that is just a serial killer mind. Mm. With Jason, though, there's, it's almost animalistic. There's no yeah. ever sense of reasoning. The only chance you have is if you are lucky enough to look like his mother. And even then, that's a, <laughs> that's a very slim chance. Mm. But before, before even the remake, we're, we're basically just talking the remake up at this point. <laughs> Before that, all we had was maybe the slightest bit in, I'd say, Jason X with the simulation where he gets the new suit with mm -hmm. nanobots or something. It's very confusing. <laughs> that, film, that film. <laughs> it's a hybrid of Friday the 13th and a space film. Uh, oh, I can remember what? I had to study that at media studies when I was at college because it was like, I think it was genre hybrid and the example was Jason X. And I don't know, I don't think Jason I've rewatched it since then. Oh, I got <laughs> Alien as an example for my hybrid genre study. I wish I had Alien because, I mean, Alien, Jason X. <laughs> Obviously, Jason well, X I mean, is step above. Yeah, I will, I will say the, the liquid nitrogen death oh. is... It's kind of iconic. Um, and I, I think yeah. that's one thing that uh, the Friday the 13th series does have is the, the kind of the iconic kills, uh, yeah. the iconic deaths. And I think that's something that, I mean, I'm, I think I'm probably quite safe in assuming what Charlie's choice is going to be, but we can say that all three of your choices <laughs> have, uh, and that is a selection of kind of iconic moments, iconic kills. 
Mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I, I'd say so. And just just going back to part three, Dan, uh, we sp- obviously spoke about um, soundtracks earlier. The soundtrack for part three is just disco heaven. It is absolutely I, ridiculous how good it is. <laughs> there's, there's a point where you could put it on in, say, like over like an over something like Saturday Night Fever or Flashdance, and nobody would bat an eyelid. <laughs> it shouldn't be there. It just it's such a random <laughs> like. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's incredible. Maybe, maybe they sent the wrong tape to the composer. Well, the, they just sent the wrong reel of film. That, that would be a good... Saturday Night Fever, and then went, "Yep, I know what I'm doing." See, that would be a good excuse. However, you get to Jason Lives Part Six, and what happens? It's the exact same thing again. <laughs> True. I mean, it's definitely a franchise that had to evolve, isn't it? I mean, I think it's one of the most prevalent franchises. You know, like it's. I, I, I don't know until the recent like legal battle, which I think's halted everything. I don't think there would have been a reason why we didn't get more Jason. Um, so hopefully that will get resolved and we'll we'll have more on the way because uh, I personally like to see it. Oh, of course. So that means we are exactly halfway through our horror icon section. So I think this is a good time to have a little break, uh, but not a break from Dan and Charlie because we're going to go over to the Game Over Man segment uh, in which they're going to endow us with a horror game. Endow, is that the right word? Probably, I'll use it. Endow, endow. endow. <laughs> no. Well endowed. Well endowed. <laughs> Stunning. Wow. Um, <laughs> with a horror game of their choice this, uh, this month. Over to you guys. Game Over. Okay, thanks, Jono. So we are going to talk our horror recommendation games for this month. I'm going to kick us off. um, And I am going to recommend, speaking of horror icons, we recently purchased um, a game called Horrified, which features all of the universal horror icons. It's a board game. So um, we're kicking off with a board game this month. It's um, not like a single player game in the fact that you play for yourself you have to work as a team i think you can play with up to five people i think i'm pretty sure it's up to five people um but yeah you basically have to you can put between one and three monsters on the board from um there's the invisible man the bride of frankenstein frankenstein's monster uh the wolf man there's dracula there's the mummy and i think that's it am i missing someone creature from the black lagoon the creature from the black lagoon and you can pick any three combination any combination of those from one monster two monsters and three monsters on the board obviously the more monsters you have the harder it gets um it's a lot of fun um it's it you know puzzle solving each monster comes with their own puzzle like i said you work as a team and it's just a lot of fun we've played through twice now once with two monsters and once with three and every time it's different it's the the possibilities with the game are endless so if you're a big fan of board games and you're a big fan of the universal monsters i would highly recommend picking up horrified um if you have the money maybe give yourself a payday treat and i'm gonna talk about um a video game again and funnily enough i've picked the friday the 13th video game um, so this released back in 2015, I believe, and um, you can get it on most major pla- platforms, uh, PlayStation 4, Xbox One. You can even get it on the Nintendo Switch and PC. And this is, pr- 
primarily a multiplayer game where one uh, player will um, take control of Jason and the other players take control of camp counselors. And Jason's job is obviously to try and kill all the counselors. And the counselor's job is to escape. Um, now, unfortunately, uh, like Liam said, there's quite a big lawsuit around Friday the 13th at the minute. So um, there's not a lot of updates as there were. But in its primary state, it's still very packed full of content. There's practically every Jason um, from the franchise bar the remake you can unlock as a skin. There's uh, camp counselors for most of the films. It is packed with content. So if you're a fan of the franchise, I highly recommend downloading it. And it probably goes for quite cheap now, I'd imagine. Thanks, guys. I'm, I'm really intrigued by this horrified game. I'm just Googling it now. Oh, um, it's so good. Honestly, when we have a Super Freak Games Night, which we will have, um very soon we, we we had one in the calendar and then for various reasons it got cancelled um <laughs> but we will have one and um yeah when you guys come over for game night we're we're busting it out because it's absolutely amazing we we've had so much fun playing it oh it looks really good. i've just found it on amazon oh that's not yeah, yeah it just looks cool. legit it does look very very good it's got little characters very cool. I was going to say, yeah. I think that would be one of the yeah. main reasons I'd get it because I'd just put them out as like action figures. <laughs> they're, they're, they're little twee little things, but they're so they're so cute. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. really enjoyable. Like I said, when you guys come over for game night, we're, we're busting it out. That'll be the first game we'll play. Oh, totally. That and Betrayal at House on the Hill will get that round as well. That is. Oh my god! Yeah, wonderful. please bring that. Yeah, you need to bring that over. Yeah, my maybe potentially <laughs> not knockoff version of that. But, but we'll see. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> <laughs> it was weirdly cheap. Uh, that's all I can say. Um, and the Friday the 13th game, am I thinking that it's extremely similar in a way to, um, oh, what's the game called? Um, the one where somebody takes on the role of the killer, uh, but there's no sort uh, of license. Am I going to write and say... Dead by, Dead by Daylight. Yeah, I think that's the one. Is it sort of a similar yeah. sort of concept yeah. to that? Kind of, yes. Um, Friday, mm. the, Friday the 13th, obviously its own sort of, it can only really stick to its franchise. And if you are intrigued by Friday the 13th, I do recommend Dead by Daylight um, because they've got so many franchises attached to it now. There's Halloween, yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Silent Hill, Resident Evil. And those are just to name a few. So... Yeah, if, if if either of those interest you, buy in buy into them genuinely because games like that need funding to show that horror games are what we want. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Back to the horror icons, and I guess it's my turn. And um, you'll be all pleased to know that I've written a small essay, which I'm going to, to see it. Which I'm going to or read out. <laughs> in full for you all uh so strap in basically enjoy <laughs> uh so when it comes to icons of horror charlie you can keep your freddies just saying rude you can keep rude. your jasons you can keep your michael myers as because uh, we mute john yeah like what the hell is this I'm, 
it's it's more like a pitch. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. Um because there's one (laughs) that stands out for me more than all the rest. Uh he's featured in countless movies, TV shows, stage adaptations. Versions Uh. of his story have been adapted and translated into languages from around the globe. In fact, only Sherlock Holmes has featured in more films than this guy. That's, oh. uh, not to mention all the That's popular culture that he's been the inspiration oh. for. I am, of course, talking about Dracula. Oh. oh. So That was not, nicely done. Yeah. What are you saying? <laughs> that, that, was, that was a sexy intro. I like yeah. that. Well done, John. I, it's all right. That oh, was I need the a minute. <laughs> first paragraph of 54. <laughs> oh god no it's not don't worry guys um so let's not get it wrong vampires didn't start with dracula they have their origins in folk tales from all over the world which is part of the reason why they and he are so enduring uh so let's go back to the beginning the character is the brainchild of bram stoker and first appeared in the novel dracula which was published in 1897 in fact Bram began writing the novel after he heard news of the notorious serial killer Jack the Ripper. Uh, Another oft-cited inspiration for the character is, of course, Vlad Dracul or Vlad the Impaler, who, you guessed it, was famed for impaling enemies as a form of torture, but weirdly enough, has never been linked to vampirism. Uh, Bram Stoker didn't link it to that, and in Bram Stoker's own notes... He makes no reference to Vladdy Boy whatsoever. Uh, he says that he found the name Dracula in Whitby Library and thought it meant devil in Romanian, so he used it. So maybe the whole connection with uh, Vlad the Impaler is a load of rubbish and just a coincidence. Anyway, Dracula. The actual novel itself was written in an epistolary style, which basically means that it's made up of loads of different diary entries. So letters newspaper articles so it gives you that sense of realism that horror at the time didn't necessarily have and it allows the reader to follow the story from the pov of more than one character you could be quite bored of going on about jonathan harker and his problems in dracula's castle because on the next page we'd be back over in england and we'd be with mina and lucy and seeing what's happening with their characters so the book It tells the tale of Dracula's wish to purchase a house in London, which sounds tremendously exciting. And honestly, it is. Because he needs a solicitor to help with the sale. This is where Jonathan Harker comes in. So he goes off to Drax Castle in the Carpathian Mountains and vampire shenanigans happen. And it all culminates in Dracula setting sail on a boat bound for England. And I won't go into much detail here because... The point of this section is not to tell you about the book, but to tell you about Dracula. But let's just say other characters get involved, including another terrific horror character, Van Helsing. So without Dracula, there would be no Van Helsing. So why have I chosen Dracula as my icon of horror? I've got a few reasons. Reason number one, he's totally badass. As horror characters go, he's got some pretty sweet powers. He can shape shift. Shape shift. He yeah, can you speak. Heard. He can. <laughs> he <laughs> can speak a multitude of languages. No, no. Um, he can shape shift. He can be big. He can be small. He can be a bat, a wolf, 
a creepy rolling mist. He could do that as well. <laughs> Power number two. He's a vampire. He can turn other people into vampires just by biting them. He can literally create his own legion of followers or a vampire harem. More on that later. Oh. He oh. drinks blood to keep his youthful appearance. Awesome. He's there the- we all. Oh, I try. <laughs> I mean. Just you, Liam. That was a confession there. Yeah. If he gets arrested. <laughs> Sorry, I've interrupted it's okay. your it's okay. flow. It's just got my flow, my flow of blood. Anyway. <laughs> He's oh, the king of vampires, which means he can control other vampires. So he turns them into vampires and then he has full control over them. Anyway, back to the vampire harem, which I talked about earlier on. He's often depicted as being basically well fit, right? <laughs> Well fit. Yeah. So that, <laughs> coupled with the fact that he has supernatural control over people, means he's pretty damn irresistible. Reason number two. He has weaknesses which kind of make sense. Every horror character has a weakness, and Dracula has some of the best weaknesses in horror. Uh, a way to be vanquished. So we all know that Dracula needs blood to survive, which makes him desperate. It makes him venture further afield. In the original Dracula novel, sunlight didn't burn or kill him, but it did render his powers useless. So in many newer adaptations, sunlight's deadly. A great plot device in lots of modern vampire and Dracula films. He can't pass over running water unless he's carried, and he can't enter a premises without being invited. So another bit of inspiration from some brilliant scenes in movies and TV. Vampires often use their charms to coerce people into letting them in. Just imagine how many scenes that we'd be without. I'm just thinking of that classic one in uh, What We Do in the Shadows, where he just ends up knocking on the window to get the, the guy's in, um, attention. Religious symbols. They render him incapacitated. Crosses, holy water, garlic. Just think of all the epic tool-up sequences that we wouldn't have if Dracula wasn't a character, where people grab crosses, load blessed bullets, and hang garlic around their necks. Reason number three, the movies themselves. When you think of Dracula, you think of Bela Lugosi, Christopher Lee, Gary Oldman, Gerard Butler... Probably not Gerard Butler because that was, yeah, was going to say what shite. <laughs> that was an awful film, Dracula two thousand. Yeah, but Gerard Butler though. But, Ger- but Gerard Butler though, yeah. See, no. all I'm saying <laughs> is proof that Dracula is well fit. <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> so, from direct adaptations to modern retellings, uh, original stories featuring the character, Dracula is featured in over two hundred movies. Uh, so there's Jeez really Louise. yeah it's crazy there's something for everybody you've got horror there's uh romantic dracula films there's extremely gory dracula films there's comedy dracula films there's even a vampire duck we all love count ducula right oh, there is literally <laughs> something for everybody and then of course there's nosferatu that's the illegitimate german cousin of dracula once vilified by the Stoker estate, which is another pillar of horror, horror and one that stands up to this day. Um, and that all kind of brings me neatly to Dracula's legacy. 
So where would we be without Dracula? What do we owe to him? So without Dracula, there would be no Blade, no Let the Right One In, no Lost Boys, no What We Do in the Shadows, no Vampire's Kiss. So without Dracula, we'd be deprived of so many wonderful films. And frankly, that'd suck. Oh, yes. Nailed it. Nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. Done. Applause, isn't it? Mic drop. I was going to say, well done, Jono. That was was beautiful. That's all right. I thought I'd go down the the pitch route. (laughs) (laughs) That was like the elevator pitch of Dracula. I love it. Oh, so, I think yeah. we should just leave. We should just end the podcast now. I think I think Jono's Jono's done a good thing. It's all right. It's all right. I thought he was all right, Dracula. I think he's uh, you know not bad. <laughs> all right, isn't he? Not bad. Yeah. As far as horror characters right. go. <laughs> but yeah, no, just mind. to ask, ask j- just to ask Jono, what would your favourite kind of co- incarnation of Dracula be? I've got um, a, yeah, I've I've got a really soft spot for the nineteen ninety two Dracula. Um. I don't know why. I just I just love the look of that film. Uh, mm-hmm. I just think it's so wonderfully gothic. Um, yeah, and I think Gary Oldman does make a fantastic Dracula. Oh uh, yeah, he's he's wonderful. We won't talk as I'm much s- about Keanu Reeves' English accent, but that's that's by the by. <laughs> Wait, he was English in that film. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, have you um have you seen the BBC? series i have uh, and which recently, i really enjoyed until episode the, the, two <laughs> yeah that yeah you know when it changed why why do this ruined itself. yeah yeah i will say though i think he was phenomenal he as dracula was excellent oh, he like was brilliant he was yeah but i'd like to see a film with with uh is it Clive bang i believe Clive bang yeah 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 i'd love to see him in a film and there was some fantastic scenes in there some really icky gory stuff uh mm. just thinking of the one where he kind of literally crawls out of a wolf i think oh yeah as yeah. you do oh yeah perfect yeah <laughs> how and did you get here by wolf by wolf yeah, like literally <laughs> i will say i'm glad that nobody's favorite iteration of dracula is the one from van helsing where it's not even a transylvanian accent at that point <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i do have a soft spot for van helsing though i feel like i think it's by the same guy who did the mommy and i mean yeah i think it yeah. is I, I have a soft spot for it but yeah it is terrible but oh, that's okay. why i like it yeah as van helsing Oh, yes. huge! I think it was it was it was Kate Beckinsale for me. Yeah, just, I'm not I'm just not Kate lie. Beckinsale. <laughs> Basically, just, anything, yeah. anything Kate Beckinsale in in a vampire yeah. sort of state is fine for me. Win, win, win. Yeah, it's it's, it's all gravy. Um, <laughs> oh, for God's sake! It, you okay, Jono? Yeah. Sorry, you can't even see it sure. this month because I've got the um, I've not got my mic my uh webcam on but <sighs> can you hear it on your end again um there, there's there's it's something faintly one second let me just get the microphone ever so slightly closer oh oh i think it might be oh <laughs> i think it is it's time for cage corner, corner. I mean, the drama of your introductions is is 
is evolving every episode. Every episode, it gets more and more melodramatic, and I'm here for it. This podcast is going to be nominated for an Emmy soon. I'm not not entirely sure if it came through on uh, Discord, but I did make scratching and tapping noises, which will be in the podcast. Uh, I just want to see you in your office on your own, just just scratching the microphone. That's what I was doing. Imagine Haley walking in at that point, just going, "What are you doing?" Christ. It's Cage Corner, mate. It's Cage Corner, son. <laughs> Get on the train. Um, I've linked Cage Corner this month. Oh, uh, look at you! It's almost like you're a professional. To my horror icon, because. Guess where, in 2011, whilst promoting Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, Nicolas Cage (laughs) stayed? Gonna hazard a guess. It was Castle Dracula. (laughs) Yeah. Spot on. Bran Castle near Transylvania. Um, So the idea was that he kind of, he, he went there and he wanted to channel the energy and see basically how spooky it was. Uh, of course he did. <laughs> this is kind of sort of classic Cage because we know he bought supposedly the haunted Louisiana mansion in which he wanted to write his next big horror novel, uh, which is still yet to be released uh, because I don't think he ever finished it, unfortunately. Um, but Yeah, he's too busy making bloody films, that's why. He used to slow down. <laughs> Six a year, madman. Um, but it leads me on to a question which none of you will be prepared for. But if you could spend a night in one horror movie location, where would you go? God, that's good. It's good, isn't it? That's That's really good. Yeah. That's, oh. The thing is, though, is like, do we go into it to just legitimately just shit ourselves or do we just go to be like, oh my God, I'm here? Well, (laughs) this is the thing for me. I would stay in room 1408. Oh, okay. Okay. Just because. What, legit with all the spooky shit happening too. That's, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're basically just welcoming hell on yourself yeah. there, but it's, okay. It's banter at this point, isn't it? It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go like per old school, like horror basic bitch and say the Bates Motel because oh, the only yeah. scary thing there is the Bates and I could just bitch slap him, like just get out. <laughs> Like, he's the only scary thing there. There's no supernatural ghosts or anything. So, yeah. Also, I've got a massive soft spot for Hitchcock films. So Nice. Yeah. Nice go. Um, I'm uh, going to go with the Spring Hill Estate, which uh, some people will more recognise as the Scream House. Oh. Mm. Good yes. choice. Just, Good choice. Because... I will I will be going through that way of just walking into every room and going, oh, that's where this happened, or oh, that's where this happened as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ultimately you've still got human killers, so you'll be fine. Yeah. And I'd just go into go into the garage and just point and go, Haha, that's where she tried to fit through the door. <laughs> and just spend <laughs> Yeah. I, looking back, I feel like I've chosen poorly because I'm the only one that's gonna actually face a horrific get, fate. Yeah. 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 I think yeah. a real place that I'd probably like to go, um, which is from horror films, but also I think in real life is pretty scary, would be the Amateurville Horror House. Yeah. I feel like some... Yeah. some... No. 
creepy shit. Not unless I'm there. going with a bag full of sh- like sage and crystals. <laughs> like I'm going nowhere near that shit. Like no, absolutely not. I am not angry. No spirits. I've got no business pissing off any demons. No thank you. <laughs> Yeah, no. I, I think it could be fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't I'm not oh, entirely yeah. sure fun's the right word, but it could be something. It could definitely yeah. be something. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we've um we've held off for long enough. Uh we're gonna have to pass it on to Charlie, who I'm sure <laughs> is gonna surprise us with her choice of horror icon. Uh I've ho- I've yeah. I've heard it's like I don't know, like Ready Brueger or something like I, I don't know how many films this thing's been in like a few Ready Brueger Ready Brueger yeah well, I don't know well I might actually I'm going to shock all um, I'm going to be doing Chucky please I can't I can't tell <laughs> no, stop don't. don't just stop <laughs> stop it no, um, of course, of course. You guys, if you've listened to the podcast before, which hopefully you will have done, um, uh, you will know that I'm a massive fan of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise and Freddy Krueger. Um, if you're new here, welcome. I'm Charlie. I'm obsessed with Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, <laughs> the reason for said obsession is because of a Channel 4 documentary that was on when I was a teenager. And um, I had... Never really, I hadn't watched Nightmare on Elm Street at this point, but it was a documentary called The 100 Greatest Scary Moments. And it was basically a talking heads thing with like random celebrities talking about their favorite horror films. And up pops this one dude and he said, the scariest thing about Freddy Krueger is he will get you. It is inevitable. You have to sleep. And that's <laughs> and Charlie's not slept since. <laughs> I have not slept since. Um, just the idea that that was a, a, a little light bulb moment in Wes Craven's brain was just amazing. I mean, we talk about like horror films going back to exposing the basic of human fears and, you know, being in your sleep and being peaceful in sleep where you rest, you do your healing. That's, you know, the time when you're at your most vulnerable. So what do we create? A massive f-ing serial killer who's going to kill you in your dreams. Yeah, terrifying. Um, so Nightmare on Elm Street, little few little factoids for you, was first released in November of 1984. It was made by New Line Cinemas, which is actually also known as the house that Freddie built because of, you know, its releasing of Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, it like I said, it was directed... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because Jason. <laughs> <laughs> um, it actually, um, according to the good old Wikipedia, grossed 57 million worldwide when it was released, which is an insane amount for a horror film. Wow. Um, and yeah, it also gave us the massive gift that is Johnny Depp as well. So this was one of his first big roles i mean if you see the latest super freak media blog post we don't speak very kindly of him because he is a bit <laughs> of a shit but um by the by it gave us johnny depp um you know you can talk about michael myers um wandering around with his one knife 
And you can talk about Jason wandering around with his one machete. But this is the 80s, hey, y'all. We are killing people with four knives on a motherfucking glove. Like, <laughs> why have one of something when you're built in the period of the yuppies and you can kill people with four knives? Um, I love it because it's got such a great sense of humor. I think Wes Craven pulls no punches in the franchise. Um, even in, in Freddy's initial setup, it's terrifying, but oddly funny as well. And I think it's one of the only films that really successfully treads that line. Um, certainly of its era, I think it was the first of its kind to successfully tread a line between dark comedy and pure terror. There is something mm-hmm. hilarious about Freddy, but also <laughs> terrifying. Um, you know, we got five sequels um, out of it. Some are absolutely shit and some are brilliant. Um, Wes Craven's New Nightmare is fantastic and I will fight anyone who um, says otherwise. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And um, Dream Children as well. Uh, Dream Warriors, not Dream Child. No, Dream Warriors <laughs> is um, also an absolutely banging sequel. Um, I think also as well, it tackles, um, I think, Liam, you've spoken about this um, in um, your essay on the Super Freak blog about um, it explores queer identity within the franchise as well. And I think that was mm-hmm. another like big turning point for, you know, the 80s during the AIDS epidemic and stuff. It, it explored queer identities, it explored, you know, things like that. It didn't shy away from it. And I think that's another reason that I love the franchise so much is it has that kind of message behind it. Um, we won't talk about the remake. The less said about that, the better. Um, I mean, it's for stars. It's not Robert Englund, so it's not Freddy, so it doesn't count. Um, cycling back to Dan's choice of horror icon, we obviously had Freddy versus Jason, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> and... Um, leaves a supposedly frustrating open end that who actually won? Well, duh, Freddie won. So if anyone disagrees, <laughs> I'm sorry. I was going <laughs> to ask you to, actually. I was going to say, who were you guys happy with how that film ended if those were your two choices? I must say, when I watched it initially, and spoiler if you've not seen it, but I don't care at this point. <laughs> um, when... He walks out when Jason walks out of the lake holding Freddie's head. I was livid. I was like, Mm-mm, no, sorry, no, 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 no. And then obviously you get the cheesy little Freddie wink to the camera, and it's like, yeah, they're in the dream world. Freddie, Freddie's got this. Like, so yeah, I was, I was happy with the outcome. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I think a lot of that film I take almost as a fever dream because there are so many parts where I just. I refuse to admit, starting with one where um, Jason Jason and Freddy fight in a dream world, mm-hmm. and for some very odd reason, Jason is now terrified of water, that thing that he is constantly shown to be coming out of, going <laughs> into, and attacking from, is suddenly his biggest fear. So... In answer to your question, I'm going to go with yes and no. Yes, because <laughs> my, my boy Jason in some aspect wins. And no, because I do agree that it was probably in the dream world. So yeah. we genuinely yeah. won't know. I also think like going back to Nightmare on Elm Street, the original, I think we 
it paved the way for like a lot of the final girls of the future. Like Nancy wasn't some random. I've said this before. You guys know how much I love Nancy and I love Heather Langenkamp, but she wasn't daft. She wasn't some blonde screaming bimbo <laughs> running away going, oh my God, I to do. She did her research. She researched Freddie. She knew that she had to stay awake. She researched ways of staying awake. She researched booby traps. And I think it's one of the best third acts of a horror film, mm. hands down, because it's just so fun to watch. Mm. And I think coming at it from like an indie filmmaker perspective, like for us guys, there were genius ways in which they made that film cheap, like Pancake Stairs. Mm -hmm. So from a filmmaker mm -hmm. point of view, I think it's brilliant to watch. Um, and yeah, obviously Wes Craven is one of the granddaddies of the horror genre. Like it's so sad that we've no longer got him with us because I'm sure he still had a few left in his tank, but not only Absolutely. did he give birth to Freddy, we got Ghostface from him as well. Like it, I think it just proves to him. He built up this horror icon and then he goes on and makes Scream and basically takes the piss out of himself and every other yeah. horror filmmaker that built up any of the icons <laughs> in the slasher genre that we've previously mentioned. So, the you know, the Halloween franchise, the Friday the 13th franchise, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, I think that's something that comes across really well in Nightmare on Elm Street is Wes Craven's, A, love for the genre, but also his incredible sense of humour. And... Mm. I think that's what makes the film so good. And yeah. I will always have a memory of watching Nightmare on Elm Street in A-level media class. And it was the first moment you see Freddy where, you know, um, she's in the boiler room and she's running away. And then he pops up behind her. <laughs> and this kid in my class just went, no, and walked out of the lesson. <laughs> and we didn't. Him, never saw lesson. never saw them again never seen again that was it he was back in the next lesson but it was just hilarious and i think that god that was that would have been 2007 that yeah. i was doing my a levels so to say that a film from the 1980s still scared somebody that yeah. much you know, even though in that time we were looking at the Saw films, we were looking at the Hostel films, we were looking at the body horror films, mm. to say that it still had that much of an impact on someone. Yeah. I think what's interesting, Sorry. similar to what Jono said about Dracula, and I think what's unique about Freddy is the fact that he's bled so much into pop culture that I think as those oh, sequels yeah. went on, obviously they did get a bit sillier. I mean, the thing that mm. kind of comes to my mind, although I think part three is great, Welcome to Primetime Bitch is, is it's virgin, it's very camp. Um, but like, I mean, he had, he was like on kids' lunchboxes. So we're, we're like literally putting a, a child killer on kids lunchboxes that go to school so it, it's I mean, so weird that's just the sense of humor of the mm. film isn't it like yeah. i think that's the dark comedy aspect of like what merchandise could we possibly make for this film <laughs> let's make children's lunchboxes yeah makes um, sense makes sense really yeah that's <laughs> a funny absolutely thing. weird i think i definitely <laughs> agree like I, I as a child i'm talking like when i was like seven to ten i didn't know who Michael Myers was. I didn't know who Jason was, but I knew Freddy Krueger. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, and just hearing about Freddy Krueger, the fact that he gets you in your dreams, for me, out of those three, he's always been the scariest one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, like I said before, there is, there is something 
terrifyingly inevitable about Freddy Krueger. Mm. Um, the fact that you, you know, the one thing I will give the remake is it brought in the idea of the micro napping thing that like you'll get to a point where your body will just go, nope, sleep. Mm. And there were, there was the moment where they start, the characters start to micro nap in the remake. Mm that I thought was brilliant because how terrifying is that? It's like you're desperately yeah. trying to keep yourself awake and then you keep dotting in and out of these wor- this world where Freddy's there and then he's not because you're back in reality. And, um, yeah, so that's the one thing I did enjoy about the remake, but I, that was the, it's just the terrifying inevitability that you will sleep no matter yeah. what. Your body will make you sleep. And then, ironically, that's the thing that will end up killing you. I think there's something to be said as well about a horror icon that can just, you can pin down exactly who they are through a piece of, say, clothing. Yeah. Obviously, Jason has the hockey mask, but Freddy's glove mm-hmm. will forever remain one, one of those horror. It's, it's a horror icon in itself. Just a simple yeah. glove with knives at the end of it. Yeah. You show that to somebody who probably has never even attempted to watch A Nightmare on Elm Street, they will still know what yeah. it relates to yeah. who it is I, from. I, I, and I, I love the could... fact that he's still... Sorry, Jonna. Go no, I'm just saying I think you could go further than that. I think you could sort of... You could even just show the, the silhouette of that. You didn't, the fedora. Don't you yeah. detail. So just the fedora. The, yeah, I mean, the, the, the there's so many elements. Bang. Yeah. Freddy. Yeah. I think with the glove as well, like what I was going to say was the fact that Robert Englund takes a glove to cons and people mm. pay to have the photo, not just with Robert England, but like the glove as well. And my friend Rob shared a story of um, meeting Robert England at con. He's, he's also a massive horror nerd. And we regularly have like just geek out conversations where we'll just talk about horror films. It's epic. And um, he was saying that he went to a convention and Robert England was there and he walked down the queue line because he'd forgotten to bring a glove with him. And he was oh. going, we need to find a glove. We've got to find one. We've got to find one. And he saw a girl holding a glove and he went, her, right, you give me the glove. And he to like took pictures with her and signed it all for her and everything. But then he was like, can I borrow this for like the whole day and just held onto <laughs> a glove and then made sure she got it back at the end of the day because he needed to have pictures with it. And I think, yeah, like in terms of having a prop, I don't think like the, you know, the glove of knives is more iconic that like i don't think there's a more iconic mm. i icon, like iconic weapon for mm. a villain i think as well the fact that robert england is synonymous with the role as well i mean that maybe is what makes him that character stand out uh from the yeah. other icons we've mentioned he's pretty much from the start played that character um and i mean aside from the the remake but i mean even i think in a recent sitcom he reprised the role like for a halloween special Old, um, old yeah and i mean you can't mm. you can't imagine anyone else doing it i mean i know there's talk about them doing another remake and maybe kevin bacon taking up the glove and i mean yeah it's exciting to a degree because i would be interested in seeing it but at the same time it, it kind of feeds into that what we said about Candyman and and that hype that you have for yourself you're always going to be disappointed because it's not yeah who you want i think it, it wouldn't really matter like if they did do another remake of nightmare on Elm street that i would be disappointed in it however robert england said he's got one more freddy outing in him 
I mean, as a it, film. totally could do and it. And Heather if... Langenkamp has also said she wouldn't say no to coming back for one more shot as Nancy. So yeah. we need to see this happen. Like, I, I need just one more film. Just we know it's possible, and we we know that it can prove to be popular. I mean, going back to Halloween, uh, Jamie yeah. Lee Curtis reprising a role after forty years—it's unheard of. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I know we recently had Sarah Connor coming back in Terminator, but I don't know. We've we've there's life still in these characters. I know it kind of gets to the point where you don't want to see eighty-year-old people like throwing Zimmer frames at each other, but at the same time. We love these original characters, so I, I don't see a problem yeah. with us having um, Nancy and Freddie return and it be the OG cast. I think it could work. Yeah, I think, it's nice I think to if see it's handled right, and, no, I was going to say I think if it's handled right, it's written well, and you know, you like all of the other films that we've mentioned, like in terms of slasher icons, they have their bad sequels. But I think mm-hmm. as long as the right person writes it stays true to Wes Craven's vision of the original Freddy in the first film and keeps that humour but keeps the sinister elements and it's directed well and they don't try and do anything groundbreaking to change it, then I am all here for it. Mm. I think with Freddy as well and with Robert Englund, it's it's nice to see the kind of the reverence that he holds the role in. Uh, I've read his autobiography and the way he speaks about the kind of the privilege it was to play Freddie is really mm. refreshing because yeah. I think some people would maybe see it kind of wrongly as well, I'm just a villain. I'm a, I'm a slasher villain, uh, but he saw it as a proper role and you can tell how mm. seriously he took it. And yeah, that's yeah. great to see. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think Kane Hodd is similar with the role of mm. Jason. I mean, he's yeah, played sure. that the most. But I mean, I will say, I think there there was recently a bit of controversy about one of the actors who played uh, Michael Myers in the original film. You know, when he kind of get un- un- he gets unmasked for like a few seconds. The guy who played him in that basically popped off at this convention, saying like how shit the film was. Wow. Didn't understand why the fans were there. Like, I mean, it was it was really like disgusting, quite honestly, because he wouldn't. No one would know who he was without that. Like, so yeah. no offense. Just Don't shut up and sit down. From. Exactly. It's, exactly. It's a really sad thing, I think, when actors turn against their own projects. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. you are going to do things that, on reflection, maybe you aren't as proud of as you may have hoped you would be, or something wasn't as successful, or whatever, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. But to turn against the thing that made you famous, I think there's a way of acknowledging that. Mm-hmm maybe a project you're involved in wasn't the best without tearing it down completely because even the films that you know it's all a level of taste like films that like you know dan and i disagree on like certain films in the same way that like all of us on the podcast will disagree on certain films it's a taste level Mm. but what's one person's cup of tea isn't necessarily the others and you might think that a project as an actor that you're involved in was absolutely shit. But that film might be really precious to the fans. And the fans, like you said, Liam, are the ones that basically want to see you in more things because they've seen you in one thing and they go, oh, I really like that person as that. Right, okay, Mm -hmm. I want to see them in more stuff. Having a fan base is what makes you successful, not only as an actor, but as a, you know, as any kind of creative, a filmmaker, you know, a writer, director, whatever. Yeah. And 
I think to then turn against a fan base, regardless of how shit the film is, is a really shitty thing to do. And I hate it when I see mm. actors, you know, having that reaction. If you don't like the project anymore and you wish you hadn't have been involved in it, fine. But don't go to a convention to be there for that film and then yeah. turn around to you. Just a complete say, dick move. Of shit. Dick move. Just don't do it. Don't do the convention. Well, just don't bother. There's notoriously um, uh, Betty Palmer. Wasn't a fan of the original Friday the Thirteenth. She's like she's she later has come around to it, but I think my funniest piece of like trivia. I think I told you you this when we were watching the remake. Yeah, Michael Bay. Who, if if you thought of Michael Bay, you would think of multiple things: explosions, sexy Megan Fox, draping (laughs) women over over things, and just gratuitous action. He apparently walked out of the premiere of the Friday the 13th remake because he thought that the sex, nudity and violence was gratuitous. It was the boob scene at the start, wasn't it, where she's trying to entice, like in the opening, like... But it's kind um, of the iconography of it all, isn't it? Like, yeah. I'm not mean to be funny, you go into a film like that, you expect teens, you expect pot smoking or weed smoking if you're in the UK, and you expect boobs. <laughs> like... Yeah. However unprogressive that is, it's an expectation that we have. Um, So, yeah, go away, Michael Bay. Platinum (laughs) tunes, you can do one. (laughs) Go away. (laughs) So that rounds out the horror icon segment. I think we've had uh, quite a lot of fun talking about those. I think that's been... Well, just before, just before we we completely wrap it up, I've you'll notice some if if listeners at home if you actually follow us on social media that's that's not shade but you should um we've launched killer stats over on instagram and it's it's kind of profiling our favorite horror icons or serial killers more than anything so i wanted to pose to you guys individually who do you think out of like the horror icons so we're looking at jason michael freddy leatherface chucky jigsaw ghostface and pinhead they're they're the key ones i'd say as like the daddies of horror um who do you think has racked up the most kills um i'll start with you charlie i think it's jason i feel like this is something that i've i know and i think it's jason Okay, what about you, Dan? I'm going to go with Jason as well, possibly with a close second of Chucky, just because of... Oh, you've made me second guess myself. Just, just because of um, Child's Play 3 with... Um, spoiler alert for those who haven't watched Child's Play 3, <laughs> why? Um, the scene where he swaps the blank bullets for live bullets. Oh, I mean, that could account oh. for a lot. I will say my stats are per Wikipedia. So the way that elephants can hatch from eggs on that website, there may be some discrepancies, <laughs> but I, it's oh, a valid point, Dan. Freak <laughs> <laughs> media t-shirt with that quote on the way elephants hatch from eggs. Liam Banks. <laughs> Mic drop. Um, Jono, what about you? What would you say? So... See, I was going to say Jason, but I think just for being different, be de- devil's I'm, advocate. I'm going <laughs> uh, to go with Jigsaw, just because because mm-hmm. I, I I reckon he bumps off a good four or five a film. 
Okay. Now, technically, does Jigsaw kill them? Te- technically, they, they kill themselves. Oh. Go home. Go home. <laughs> Michael Bay, is that you? Got <laughs> <laughs> Well, what I'll reveal is, personally, I was quite surprised at this. The person who's got the least amount of kills out of all of these, and um, I've also kind of totted up the average kills per film because of the amount that they have as well. But the the person who has the least amount of kills is Leatherface from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I find kind of insane. But then when you think about it, Toby Hooper like made it and wanted it to be PG initially. There's, I, I, I don't know. I think the title oh. is the scary oh. thing. I don't know. He's, he was, he was a crazy dude. But there's only 34 kills in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise, and there's eight films in that series. So that means we have an average of 4.25 kills a film. Which, when you think about it, I don't think is that much at all. Like overall, I don't, I don't think. Like Like four kills or so a film, I don't think it's a lot. That's like in the intro to like some of the films we've been talking about, like just the first section. Yeah, Yeah, it's uh, it's not a lot. (laughs) That's really that's really low. I I I'm genuinely thinking like is that is that the is that kills in the film in total or just by Leatherface? That's the, I think that's the, just the kills by, I think that's the kills in the film. If I, yeah, if I've looked at these stats right, this is the kills in the film, but pretty much he's responsible for the majority. So we'll, we'll give him, we'll give him a break. The, the maximum that they had was uh, uh, seven in, there was in two films, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning in 2006 and Texas Chainsaw 3D in 2013, which oh, we hate that film. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, even that seven kills. I suppose seven's a decent number. We can we can get on board with that. Um, so, uh, Jono, you said Jigsaw, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to reveal that you are wrong. It's not Jigsaw. Uh, <laughs> Jigsaw has uh, 91 kills oh. over a number of eight films. I'll take it. So his average is a lot higher. He's 11.37 per film. Um, but Ooh. 91 okay, I think it's it. a decent decent stab at it the most kills he's had is 22 in one film and that was in Saw 3D back in 2010 oh, great fun so so you're wrong sorry sweet um, right Dan <laughs> you said Chucky again yes. I'm going to reveal that you're, you're wrong on this one Chucky's actually got oh. less kills than Jigsaw um, he's got only oh. 74 kills oh 74 again eight seems to be the lucky number we've got over eight films so his average is 9.25 um per film that isn't taken into account uh i don't believe the um the 2019 film the the one that isn't technically isn't technically really chucky yeah it doesn't count it's not Brad Dourif, um, so it doesn't count. Well, the most amount of kills he's had is 15, and that was in The Seed of Chucky in 2004. So, Oh, dear you, Lord. Yeah. I, I recently, um, I don't know why I did this. I watched Bride of Chucky the other day. Uh, and I mean, I absolutely hate Catherine Heigl. Forgot she was in that film. Um, so just had a bad time. But I will say it was it was very, very fun. The amount of homages in that film is is good. Um, Bride of Chucky, Seed of Chucky is God awful. Col- yeah. Colton Kerr. 
those those are I underrated. I will gave up. I will curse. stand by that. Curse I give you. Cult. Mm. <laughs> he kind of looks like he has a bad weave at some points. I I, I can't I mean, get past yeah. it. The hairstyle, it's uh it's a thing. Um but Charlie, you went with Jason. And I can reveal that you are correct. Jason Woo-hoo! has the most amount of kills. He clocks in 157, which is insane. Um, he's had 12 films, including obviously his most recent appearance, which was the 2009 remake. And uh, over those 12 films, his average, which is great, comes out at 13.08, which I think is mm-hmm. is kind of so special. Satisfying. Very That's satisfying. Very satisfying. Where's Freddy on the list? I'll get to Freddy. Don't you? You you're oh. going to be surprised. You're going to be surprised. Um, I will say, although we have mixed feelings on it, his most amount of kills actually came with Jason X in 2001, where he killed 21 people in that film. Which oh. again, mental. So individual films wise, Jigsaw. Just saying, 22. Jigsaw. Jigsaw's. Jigsaw's. Yeah, pulled ahead. I think I'm Jigsaw actually. Suicides. <laughs> well, I was. Well, actually, you're right, Jono. Point. He's dead at that point. Ah. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Valid. Valid. But but Jigsaw does have the most kills per film. I mean, we've got Halloween Kills on the way, which I'm hoping is going to just take the crown. Leave you guys well, all in the dust. Just by the trailer, like just yeah. the scene with the firefighters is going to be like. I think there's like 18 just bodies just in that scene. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> So, Freddie, you're going to be surprised. Mm. Freddie clocks it's going to in. Be low, isn't it? Freddie clocks in. I think he's he's second to last. At looking at this, no, no, scream second to last. I do, I do apologise. He's got forty two, forty two. Uh, that's what, over though? nine films in the series, obviously including the remake. Um, but his average only comes out at four point six seven per film. So we're similar to Leatherface. The amount characters like the main characters that you focus on in each nightmare on street film like mm-hmm. four, what was it 4.6 4.67 4.67 that's i think not... you'll find <laughs> i don't think you'll find it was 4.67 um <laughs> that yeah that works out at about right well I'm just thinking the, of the, the most first. amount of kills he had was 10 in one film and that was nightmare on elm street 2 freddy's revenge back in 1986 yeah. So, I mean, there is that whole pool party scene where he kind of gets a bit knife happy, but um, yeah. yeah, I guess, I, I yeah, I, I was surprised. I thought Freddie would be higher. Um, Michael, I've got to talk about Michael, the main man himself. He's actually second on the list. He's got 121 um, over 11 films. So his average is a square 11 kills per movie, which is equally satisfying. Um, the most amount of kills he had... One of my favorite. It's the bit with Bob where he just stabs him into the wall. Like yes. I don't know why. Always like out of all horror films, that's one death that just makes me go oh every time yeah. I watch it. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, horror. I remember the first time I saw that scene and just absolutely crapped myself when he came out of that cupboard, and I was just like, okay. And now every time I open a cupboard, I think there's going to be a Michael in there or something. But um, the most amount of kills he's clocked up was in the Rob Zombie remake in 20, uh, 2007, and that was 18. So please, please, God, let Halloween kills overtake this so we don't have to mention it again. <laughs> Do it in the 
<laughs> we'll all be happy. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. But um, yeah, there you go. We'll be revealing more stats on the Instagram page, Killer by Killer, as the weeks go oh, on. Look um, that plug. <laughs> yeah, follow us on social media if you want to know your horror shiz. Best plug of the <laughs> podcast history, Liam. Well done. Plug, plug, plug. Plug, 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 plug. <laughs> um, plug. Talk about plugging things. I hear yep. you've got a... Oh, oi, oi. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> Weird segue. Disgusting. I hear you've got <laughs> another foreign bodies for us this month. Yes, I do indeed. Thanks, Jono. Um, so, I kind of tried to keep the vibe similar to what we've been discussing. Obviously, it's primarily been slashes, although... Jono decided to go with Dracula, like an absolute melon. Um, but this month, Whoa. I recommended a film that is available on Netflix. It's called Nobody Sleeps in the Woods Tonight, and it's a Polish-language horror film. It's directed by Bartosz M. Kowalski, and the crew promoted it as the first Polish slasher film. Okay, so... Essentially, the film follows a group of tech-dependent teens as they go on a camp that is designed to make them go offline, switch off, get away from the world. As we follow these characters, we then learn that each of these kids has, has ultimately been sent to this camp for different reasons, and pretty much all of them are then there against their, their own will. Now, the, the offline camp setting provides us with a really interesting explanation as to why there are no mobile phones or means of contacting the police when shit starts to hit the fan. I think that's something that obviously we see in like slasher films these days. Things could be explained away quite easily with cell phones being a thing. Um, but they, they explain it quite nicely with this. Um, it also then means that the film's tone switches to one that's quite similar to that of the old 80s slasher films that we love, which this film, I will say, is blatantly looking to homage. Now, the film is filled with the archetypal characters of, of these classic horror movies. So we've got, we've grown to expect, uh, obviously, these sorts of characters through the year, but I think through the years, but I think the film does something really quite unique with it. It updates these characters to the and brings them into the 21st century. So we, we've got the dumb blonde who's an influencer. The nerd is now a professional gamer. Um, and it the reasons that these characters are the way they are links back to why this group have had to step away from technology in the first place. Um, now, the film really does make you care about the characters. And I think the fact that you like these guys so much makes it all the more impactful when the body count starts to eventually rise. I will say that this film is in no way that original. It doesn't set out to reinvent the wheel, although inventive. I think a die-hard horror fan might be able to see some of the plot points and even some of the kills uh, that have been lifted straight from other films. So ultimately, I'd suggest going into this just wanting to have a good time and maybe see see something that you're familiar with. Um, the film then builds to a climax and a reveal that is truly out of this world, hint, hint. And I'm sure as of recording this, there is a sequel that has been confirmed and I believe might even be released as early as next month, so October. Um, so I definitely suggest checking this out. Belt yourself in for an absolutely bonkers ride. You will enjoy it. Awesome. Cheers, Liam. And that's um, Bush. And, yeah, uh, boy. That's on Netflix. Am I right? It it is indeed, yeah. I mean, have any of you guys checked it out already? Or 
No, I've been uh, audio no, books, mate. Oh, all right, Rich, sorry. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I will say, I, I saw that it was out. I think it came out, like, in the middle of lockdown. Um, and there's been a few kind of gems that have slipped under the radar on Netflix. Uh, there's that. I think there's another one called Classic Horror Story as well, which has recently come out. And it's nice to see these, like, European films having a take mm. on, like, the Western kind of iconic uh, like slashes and, and stuff that we we know and love and i think that links back to episodes where we've we've discussed like remakes in general where they've been adapted from like japanese cinema or whatever it's nice to see it happen the other way around yeah um uh, which is yeah it's interesting sweet so that sort of brings us full circle we've come to the end of the podcast this month and i think it's it's probably been one of my favorite episodes to record we've all had uh, a lot of things to say um I just want to point uh, our lovely listeners in the direction of another podcast, They're Queer, which the first episode came out earlier this month. Uh, Liam, when's when's episode two out? So this one, the first episode drops on the 21st of September and it's the 21st of, of each month. Ah. So if you like vampires, which you clearly do, Jono, mm-hmm. you probably want to check out that first episode because we kept quite down and dirty about the Fright Night film. Uh, and we mentioned the remake a little bit. Sweet. I'm there for it. I'm 100% <laughs> there for it. Um, <laughs> as usual, if you... Uh, like our post on Instagram, you will be entered into the competition to win some Super Freak Media goodies. And just a heads up, I think this will be potentially our last competition for a little while. So if you want to enter the competition, now's the time to do it. So thank you very much to my guests this month. We've had Daniel Poppet. Thank you very much. Liam Banks. Tempted to say hello again, but thank you very much. Thanks, it's Liam. been a pleasure. Cheers. Thank you very much. And Charlie Clark. Thank you. It's been awesome. It Big been. shout out to you as well, Jono. Like oh. that yeah. Dracula bit was was some sweet stuff right there. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I do yeah, try every, every now and then. Um <laughs> so, I've really enjoyed this episode. <laughs> yeah, it's been good. It has been good. Uh, so All that's left to say is keep it creepy and see you all on the other side. <laughs> I hate that. Like the, the sign-off's never got any easier, has it? Can you remember no. when we just used to cram in Jono's living room? We'd just sit there and we just go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, we suck. Oh, good. God, that was yeah. that was awesome. Like, oh. You've been listening to a podcast on the Super Freak Media Podcast Network. To show your support, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. And you can find us on social media in the links in the description of this episode. Thank you for listening.